0: You are listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid Missouri's source for in depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It is so much more than radio. It is your community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon and I am super glad that you are listening. This week's episode is dedicated to teachers, whether they be teachers of analogy, home ec, phys ed, maths, history or art... And school support staff, the office managers and counsellors, and the facilities teams, the janitors and building managers, and everyone else who within the next week or so is stepping back into the unknown world of the fall semester, and who is having to manage their anxieties and fears to ensure that students from kindergartners to graduates have a chance to return to education. On this week's Back to School edition, I checked in with just a handful of the performing arts educators who have spent their summer trying to work out how to teach singing, acting and musicianship in a world obsessed with aerosols and masks. Rather like the Spanish Inquisition.
1: Nobody
2: expects the Spanish Inquisition! (laughs) Our chief weapon is surprise, surprise and fear, fear and surprise. Our two weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Thank
0: you, Monty Python. I was going to carry on to say no one expects a pandemic with its surprisingly similar weaponry of fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. And I doubt many of our teachers thought they were signing up for a job which now places them firmly on the front lines of a highly infectious virus. But they are returning all the same. You know, I never cease to be blown away and delighted by the talent that I see across Columbia stages. The young bands who come into KOPN to play live on Mike Hagen's show, well, pre-COVID at least, and the vocal talent in musical theatre or the mature and skilled artworks that I saw winning awards at the Columbia Art League, almost all of which are a product of a Columbia arts education. I am honestly a little envious of their education. The chance to act and sing, to play in band and learn improv, or create thought-provoking visual art that speaks to social justice issues was not something that I ever saw any of my pals create or experience back in the day. And certainly those kind of confidence-building opportunities were not part of my schooling. So I have massive respect for the art teachers in our community for inspiring and nurturing such an incredible array of talent. So first stop on today's art tour is Dr. Julia Gaines, Director of the School of Music at the University of Missouri. Welcome back to the show, Julia. Thank you very much. Now, last time we chatted back in February, you had just opened the brand new Jean and Rex Sinkerfeld Music Centre, a state-of-the-art, multi-million dollar facility that stood ready to transform how students rehearsed and recorded <laughs> and experienced their music education at Mizzou. And then just a few weeks later, the world changed and all performing arts venues stood empty.
3: Uh, yeah. That was so sad. Where are we now? What does the full semester look like for the School of Music? You know, we are making lots of plans. We have plans upon plans. And I think every educator does right now. I know that we are first and foremost concerned about everybody's physical safety. But very, very near under that, for me, is our students' mental health as well. That's becoming such a growing concern. And I am so hoping we can at least stay in class for a month or so just to get everybody around a few people singing, playing their instrument, looking at music. I think that would just do wonders right now for everybody's mental health. So we are taking a ton of precautions. We are following social guidelines. We are going to be playing wind instruments with masks on. We're getting special masks created that have a slit in them for the different instruments so we can protect those, you know, keep those aerosols as, as uh, inside that mask as possible. We are shortening our rehearsals to only 30 minutes each if it's an aerosol producing rehearsal. So that would be our wind instruments and our choir we are adding our HVAC system is running 24 hours nonstop now at the highest level it possibly can. We we would normally at the university run in an efficiency level so that we were trying to do its job, but in, in, in a very efficient manner. And we are absolutely the opposite right now. Run that HVAC solid 24-7 to constantly be clearing that air. And we're cleaning all the time. The janitors are just cleaning. We're wiping down chairs, stands. So I talk to our students and our faculty like we just keep adding layers of Swiss cheese as our (laughs) medication. So the first layer of Swiss cheese has holes, so we add another one. And after about five or six layers of Swiss cheese, you can't see through the holes anymore. So that's at least what we're hoping to do with our mitigation strategies in order to allow us to sing and play our instruments.
0: I was reading that there is, I guess there's many aerosol studies being commissioned by different organisations and that there are, as you mentioned, there are special masks that people can wear depending on what instrument they play. And then there are bell covers that go over the musical instruments. Yeah. Have you been, has Mizzou been involved in designing any of these
3: innovations? No, not designing. Once the recommendation came out that you use bell covers, our marching band instrument company, Stanberry, they're located in Missouri, they immediately came out with the correct sizes for all the instruments. And so we are purchasing ours from Stanberry, but we did not help design them. They're fairly standard for all trumpets, you know, and trombones and things like that. So we are working with our theater costume department on designing the masks with the slits, because those were not commercially available. They came out as part of this study, they came out as one of the recommendations. And we all were like, okay, where do we get these? And nobody had them made. So we, I called my good friend, Heather Carver, and asked if she could help us out. And they're doing uh, doing a great job helping us with that. I've seen some
0: really beautiful and moving performances online this summer and you know, hats off to all the technical teams of editors who are making this look so flawless. (laughs) Um, I'm amazed how they managed to just make it all seem to flow without any hiccups. But for orchestral musicians, say, a large part of their passion they have for their art is the act of performing for an audience and in a room with each other. What options exist? I know it's a bit of... uh, The unknown knowns and the known unknowns, but what options exist this fall to replicate that for students?
3: Well, we are going to give them the chance to play together. What they won't get is the chance to play for a live audience. So, uh, Mizzou has put in some pretty strict guidelines about inviting outside folks onto campus for good reason. They're watching out for the safety of our students and our faculty and staff. But all of our performances this semester will have to be either live streamed, so they still get to be live, but they're just for a computer audience, or they're going to be pre-recorded. That certainly is a something that we will miss as musicians. We definitely like playing for an audience, but we do know this is temporary. I think this will get resolved. I don't know when, but this is not for the rest of our lives. And we're really taking it as an opportunity for our students to learn about technology. You know, this has been really great for some of our professors who hadn't really needed to dive into the world of technology. So they were just teaching like they always had. And I've had some of them say, wow, I'm I'm actually really glad I was forced into this. And I'm going to continue using some of these. And I think it's good for our musicians, too. They need to know how to record themselves to sound really good for future jobs. So they need to know about technology. They probably need to know some video editing in the, you know, 21st century entrepreneurial musician toolkit. They probably should have some of that. So we're trying to take this opportunity to not focus on what they're going to miss, but how we are going to take advantage of technology and do some more creative performances like you've seen for this short time period, really kind of open our wings into this new area of art creation.
0: I have really enjoyed everybody's creativity. I think we are all getting a little screen exhausted from sitting in so many Zoom meetings and trying to cram all of our art needs into this, this one kind of space rather than going out and seeing people. Are you going to
3: present things in a shorter format? We are going to, yes. So we only get to rehearse for 30 minutes at a time. So we definitely cannot prepare the quantity of literature we have before. I think that there will be less music played, but we are going to try and incorporate that adding kind of an educational component so that we always include a composer interview or a conductor interview or a soloist interview. So um, we're going to have our students become a little bit more dive into that journalism area and see if when we present a piece of music we can actually give a little bit more background than we traditionally would have done in a live setting that still doesn't really get to your you know concept about screen overload. I, I think you're right, we're all there. You know, I don't have too many ways around that right now. We have a couple creative things we might be doing outside with some projections. So we are at least trying to look at those options. But indeed, everything is a bit screen heavy right now.
0: <laughs> now, the pandemic has not been the only tectonic shift we've experienced this year since since college ended back in March. The murder of George Floyd and the expansion of the Black Lives Matter movement has really massively illuminated the iniquities throughout society and, of course, in the arts, which for all of its liberal self-belief has been found to be seriously wanting and overwhelmingly white. I wondered, how is the School of Music responding to this call for more diversity?
3: Yeah, this has hit us hard over the summer. Immediately when George Floyd was murdered, our students reacted very, very quickly and were asking the faculty, what are we going to do? We recognize we are a very Western European institution, and how are we going to bring you know, diversity into our School of Music? Our faculty and staff had certainly already been aware, and we're working on some things, but the students really kind of made us um, up our game a little bit and get educated more quickly, even this summer. So within two weeks, I think, of that experience in Minneapolis, we had uh, voluntary faculty meetings. We discussed what we could do. We broke off into four subgroups and talked about what we would do with our large ensembles. We included students on this. We actually formed a summer inclusion, diversity, and equity collective, the IDE collective. And then they introduced a couple book readings and article readings that we did this summer. So really, right after the murder of George Floyd, we, we've we been busy actually all summer. And we'll be continuing that as we start the semester. We have some group school-wide convocations planned and are really going to try and hit this concept. You know, it's really difficult because we have... Music schools across the country have traditionally been about studying Western European music. Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart. That's not something that anyone would say isn't the case. We've been that way for decades. But I do think, rightly so, it's time that we open that up a little bit to the study of other cultures, other worlds. But that is going to take a complete revision of our curriculum countrywide. Every conservatory in the country needs to be looking at their curriculum right now. And we are doing the same. We've had, again, multiple committees over the summer do that, and we will continue to be adjusting our curriculum. I
0: have had numerous interesting conversations with black and brown artists over the summer. And and one of the areas that we keep coming back to is that exactly this, the Western classical canon of music and how it is so favors white composers. But it isn't because there aren't numerous amazing black and brown composers. And I have just recently discovered the works of Chevalier de Saint-Georges. And he is called the Black Mozart, but really Mozart is the White Chevalier because really Chevalier de Saint-Georges came first. And I would love to see more works that include composers from different, not necessarily different cultures. They're American quite often. But we don't ever hear them.
3: Yeah, I would agree with you. It is not for lack of composers not being there, it's because we don't know about them. So I've challenged and charged each of our faculty really get to know some of the other composers, meaning people they don't they haven't taught their whole lives. They've learned the canon, but that doesn't mean they have to teach the canon. Our flute professor Alice Dade makes it a point to introduce a brand new piece of music to our flute students every semester. They're all required to play it. They study it and it's from any one of the BIPOC composers, so any of the minority fields. Our theory professor, Peter Lee, this summer, he has simply gotten together with a few of his colleagues and analyzed music they'd never heard of before. And he has found some new pieces that he is going to teach concepts with. And I think this is really just a matter of our faculty intentionally looking for these opportunities. They're professional organizations, which every instrument has. In percussion, we call it the Percussive Arts Society. Those organizations do a great job of providing those resources. So for just about any instrument, there is now a list any faculty member can go to to look at music of different composers just music for the tuba that is not what they've been taught and it's from minority composers and female composers and underrepresented composers so I think that is happening now it's going to take a few years for it to make the massive shift we'd like to see but I think we're at least moving the plate using your tectonic analogy you know it's at least starting to move a bit
0: i think one of the issues that comes up again uh, often is that it starts at such a young age this feeling of exclusion so when you know young school children maybe go and get in, they get invited to go and see an orchestral performance and they look at the stage and they see They see no black and brown musicians and they feel like, well, nobody looks like me, so therefore this isn't for me. And then they go to school and maybe they think, well, I'd really like to learn the violin. But then there's the cost of instruments is beyond reach for many lower income children, many of whom are non-white. And then for those classical musicians who do make it to higher education, there is the fact that most orchestras, despite blind auditions, ostensibly, It's still, the system still favours white musicians. And then, as we said, there's the added insult that very few artistic directors program works by um, minority composers. So what role can a university like Mizzou
3: play towards Redressing this balance when it starts at such a young age. It does. We, we have just been having this conversation with on the faculty this week. There's three areas that we know we have to look at. Often, often we will start with recruiting and scholarships as the very first issue, if you want to call it, to start working on, but it's really the chicken or the egg. We got to get them before they come to college, like you're saying. And I think this is an opportunity for us as a faculty to see, and especially in this COVID environment, what are some things we can offer now to any high school we want in the in the state of Missouri, because we're not bound by travel. We can do everything electronically. So what can we offer to students that we wouldn't necessarily have targeted because they weren't on the all-state list or they didn't have enough awards here. There's great musicians in the state of Missouri that aren't necessarily defined by an all-state list or an award. We just have to make sure we're going out and finding them and exposing them. So we are talking about all the ways we as a faculty member can even help more students of color get in the all-state band or the all-state choir. What are some things we can do? And then that will in turn Maybe, hopefully, get more people, like you mentioned, black and brown students to audition for um, scholarships at our school. And then the third part of it for me is our curriculum. Is our curriculum broad enough that they can succeed? Because if we are only looking at a piano audition and you can only get into our school if you've had three years of piano lessons and you must play Beethoven, and then you have to study it in music history, that leaves no room in any one of those steps for someone that has a socioeconomic status where you've not been able to afford lessons or Mm -hmm. been exposed to that. So there's, there's multiple things that we need to do as a school. And actually those three areas are areas we've actively been talking about to see how our school of music can help the state of Missouri and help the minority students in the state of Missouri be better prepared to be music majors. Cause I believe there's really talented kids out there, but sometimes when they get to our school, they're not set up for success and we need to work on that as a school as well are you
0: basically optimistic that actually through all of this difficulty, pandemic, and re-questioning about systemic inequalities, are you optimistic that we will solve things?
3: Well, I don't know about solve, but I do think we're going to start moving that plate faster. These are not issues that we've only talked about this summer. We began curriculum discussions I mean, I started it when I first became the director six years ago. So curriculum discussions are hard, but an incident like this helps propel it forward a little bit. It helps get people – it's not just me up there or or another one faculty member saying we need change. It's, it's something so obvious in our face that we absolutely have to address it. So even from the time that our campus experienced troubles in um, 2015 – our curriculum has changed, and we have been able to make some positive steps. I would like to make more, and I think that our, our new awareness of this, uh, this summer is going to help us make even more changes. I think COVID has really opened up the world of technology for us in the area of recruiting, in the area of faculty communication, And so I think we're absolutely going to see some things that we hang on to, even when COVID is gone, we're going to be using technology more to our advantage. So I would have to say I'm very positive at the outlook of the future. It's a little depressing to be in it right now. Um, And the work is hard, and it can be emotional. And you know, we can have some difficult conversations sometimes, but I do believe it's all going to be worth it. And I'd love to see where we are five years from now. You know, I hope in five years, you and I can have the same conversation. And we're going to talk about the progress. We've seen since <laughs> the horrible year 2020.
0: <laughs> well, on that pretty optimistic note, <laughs> we'll wrap up for today. <laughs> Dr. Julia Gaines, thank you so much for coming to chat on Speaking of the Arts. You're
3: welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the field Hickman High School Marching Band. <clears throat>
0: you almost feel the bite of crisp autumn air and the heady scents of hot dogs, pumpkin spice and damp leaves but hang on to those memories for a while longer as it's too soon to tell how much marching, colour guarding and brass blowing is going to happen this fall. Our next stopping off point today is Hickman High School. So the joy of being married to a local when you're a foreigner is that sometimes a name crops up of a person you'd like to chat to and your husband says, oh, he was in my class at Hickman. And so it is with my next guest today, the Hickman High School Director of Bands and also the newly appointed music director of the Columbia Community Band, Dennis Swope. Good morning, Dennis, and welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Diana. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm sure you have lots of tales you could tell me about my husband, but we'll save that for an (laughs) off-air conversation. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So your days are full of music, spit and aerosols, which usually would just be part of the job. But now that has a whole new significance. You are responsible for four concert bands, marching band and jazz ensembles at Hickman. So what does band look like in the age of covid
1: Oh, well, we're still trying to figure that out, actually. We are looking forward to trying some different things. We've started marching band this year already, and um, it's a little easier with marching band because since it's outside and we can be more spread apart, we are a little more spread apart than usual. We wear masks when we're not playing, and of course the masks do come down when we start playing, but we do our best to keep distances and that has gone very well so far. We limited our rehearsal time significantly to limit contact time with students. So it's it's been a challenge. For concert bands, it's going to be very different for us as music educators, uh, not only just the band side, but also choir, where we aren't really able to do what we normally do in a classroom. With all the guidelines and limitations set upon us, we're really trying to have to develop Different ways to do band and choir. And um, we have been working on it. And we've had teachers working pretty much all summer trying to develop new curriculum to help us get through these strange times.
0: Now, there are masks that have been specifically designed for singers and band masks that I guess you can wear the mask while you're playing. Is that an option right. for high school students?
1: It's somewhat of an option. What it comes down to is the amount of aerosols that are produced from the instrument itself mm. and there are instrument covers, for example, we are using some in marching band with our brass instruments, um, but there are instrument covers for bells that can be used, but it still only limits the spread of the aerosol a bit it's still there, so that's where the space comes into play with a minimum of six feet between each student, which is very limiting in our classrooms because they are not big enough to hold like a normal band all spread apart six feet.
0: (laughs) Right. So marching band, I think you started rehearsing at the end of July. So at this point, you've had a few weeks to see in practical terms where the challenges lie. Have you had to make any adjustments that maybe you weren't expecting?
1: Um, I don't know that we weren't expecting them. I think the thing that has affected us the most is just the significant reduction in time we have with the students, being able to put all of our students together. Since we have the restrictions of less than 100 people in a mass gathering, we have about 120 with staff and students in our marching band, so we can't all meet together at the same time. So we've had to divide our rehearsals basically in half
0: so that that seems incredibly challenging you're not seeing all the band at once you've got half the band for one period of time and then the other half for the other time how (laughs) how, as the band director how does that work
1: well to be honest we do the best with what we have you know we talked with our students and um, you know we told them from the very beginning we don't know what we're going to be able to do and as we our plans developed you know uh, here's what we can do, and we're going to do the best that we can, no matter what it is. And the students have been great with that, and they understand that it's not really about this year necessarily with marching band, especially, but it's about the future years. If we were to take off and not do anything with marching band, it would affect our future programs pretty significantly. So uh, they've been working hard, and they've been real troopers with just digging in and and just being their best.
0: So when we're talking about marching band, obviously you're rehearsing outdoors, you're performing outdoors. So social distancing is pretty easy to maintain. But thinking about like the band being at football games, I can see there are some potential kind of pinch points like being on the bus or sitting in the bleachers. What kind of plans do you have in place for those scenarios?
1: At this point, we're still just kind of playing things by ear with what we're able to do. At this point, I don't know if we are going to be able to perform at football games. It's going to depend on the restrictions from Boone County Health with how many people can be in attendance. You know, if they're at two hundred and fifty people, if it gets better and we have two hundred fifty person limitation, you know, I don't think they want one hundred and ten of those to be marching band members. So, um. We're still trying to figure that out. And of course, it'll depend on what we can actually do with our school year as well, whether we're in person or virtual or in the hybrid model.
0: Right. So you mentioned earlier marching band is outdoors, but the other bands, the concert band, jazz ensembles, are they just completely on hold or can you at least rehearse outdoors, say at the beginning of the semester and then see how it goes?
1: That is a possibility. And we're investigating all of those options. (laughs) One thing that we're really struggling with is that we know that these students want to play their instruments. They don't want to come into band class to have a music history lesson. So uh, they want to play their instruments. And we're just trying to all, all of the CPS band directors are really trying to figure out ways to make that happen.
0: I wanted to ask you about mental health for students. I mean, the social aspect of band is really critical, mm-hmm. not just the playing of the instrument, but just being together and finding your people. And that's part of what band is and social lives revolve around it. So, I mean, that's, that is critical if you had conversations with students about, about that, about their need for band.
1: Oh, absolutely. And figuring that out with our concert bands is going to be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, with our marching band, it's been great Having students together, I think they were looking forward to actually being with other people, even though they're socially distant, (laughs) they're actually together and doing something. I think that was a big step for those that needed that community. When we talked with our leadership team about marching band, that was one of the big things that we all decided was super important was to keep the community aspect back with our band. So uh, that's pretty important to us at Hickman High School. And so we're just trying to figure out ways to keep pushing that forward.
0: I have a question for you specifically from my husband, who back in the day played bass guitar in the Hickman Marching Band with you uh, yes. in his senior yeah. year. And famously, he had another pal, Craig Prentice, who opted to proudly push Tom's amp behind him. Right. And that was a decision that meant he actually gave up his place on the soccer team because he so wanted to be in band, <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't play any musical instrument. So I can tell you, 40 years later, Craig and Tom are still telling that story. <laughs> um, so the question from Tom is, Do Do you still have bass guitar in the marching band?
1: Every once in a while, we do. Um, Marching band is very different than when we were in high school. And uh, now we have a front ensemble that could consist of many different instruments, mostly percussion instruments. But we have used a bass guitar and electric guitar a couple of different years in our marching band. But it is not a normal thing that we use. (laughs) No, no more pushing a bass amp around on the streets <laughs> or on the field.
0: Well, Tom will be happy that guitar, bass guitar, electric guitar is still in band. But I think Craig will be sad that there's nobody pushing the amps these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Dennis, it has been lovely to chat to you. Um, I didn't even get round to asking you about the Columbia Community Band, but maybe that's something we can catch up on another time.
1: OK, that sounds great.
0: Thank you so much, Dennis Swope.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: from Hickman High School we're going to whiz across town to the stages of Stevens College where thanks to some specially designed masks the boards will hear the patter of theatrical feet this semester and our hosts for this part of the show are actors Jennifer and John Hemphill. Jennifer and John, it is lovely to have you back on the show. The last time we chatted was the end of May, and it feels like the world has changed considerably since that time. So welcome back to The New World. Thank, Thank you. you
4: for having Thank us. Thank so much. <laughs> Great to be back.
0: This week, everyone is getting ready to go back to school. So I thought I would check in with some people in academia and see what a performing arts schedule might look like for the upcoming fall. So, Jennifer, let me start with you and ask you how you are feeling about the return to school.
4: Well, I'm really excited to see the students. We've got a lot of safety precautions in place from special singing masks to clear masks for acting and voice and speech. Um, we've got dividers for dance classes and for scene work. And then we've really got a few intriguing performance projects that we'll be investigating in the fall also. So, you know, it's going to look different, but in a very wonderful way, it affords us an opportunity for limitless possibilities.
0: What do special singing masks look like?
4: Well, they resemble almost a... um a snout or a horse-like or a sort of dog-like structure. They protrude so that the student can use full structure as opposed to their mouth being pressed flat. So they are able to create both space and structure within the mask. Is this something that you designed? Oh, my goodness. I wish I had been brilliant (laughs) enough to design it. Actually, there is a wonderful training institute in New York City called the Open Jar Institute. And they were smart enough to jump right on this and design these masks. And that is where we purchased them from.
0: Wow, that is really interesting. I mean, I, I love how innovative
4: everybody is I know. being. and you know, the clear masks that we have purchased were designed by a speech pathologist. So people are really, again, they're really exploring these limitless possibilities of how to, you know, make lemonade out of what might have been perceived as lemons.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so the
0: clear masks, do they cover the whole face or they just go around your nose and mouth area?
4: Yeah, they cover the nose, mouth, and chin, but there's um, sort of a foam-like, I guess, substance on the inside that, again, gives it a little bit of space, but it's still flush on the sides. But this way, you can really see expressions, and also in a voice and speech class, again, you can see that structure through the mask. So, John, the big news
0: for you, since we last spoke, is that your touring production days are over, for For now now, at least, and you are taking up the position at Stevens vacated by Rob Doyen, retiring. So you are now staying with us in Columbia and not going off to do a Dear Evan Hansen tour. You are part of our community now. I am.
5: I'm very excited. (laughs) It's it's a, a fantastic opportunity, and I just couldn't be more thrilled to be here, so... And yes, you know the 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 tour is just on hold. It's just going to take time for all of that to to get back going. And so I I just am, am thrilled to be able to be here and, and to meet the students and share my passion and love for theater and acting. So it's 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 a it's a great opportunity.
0: You were really in the right place at the right time. How much of a, a life adjustment is this for you?
5: <laughs> you know, it, it it is a little bit of a life adjustment. Much of my work was happening uh, at night, and now it's <laughs> happening very early in the morning. So, so yes, uh, I I do uh, I have to get to bed, you know, uh, and uh, to be bright in the morning. So, you know, w- when we're working, we are thinking about obviously. Um, we still think about the fundamentals as professionals. We work and we continue to take classes and, and shape our own path and, and, and work on our own fundamentals. So, really, it's, it's just an extension of being a professional actor is to help others do you know do the same, and, and it's a thrill to see them start their own journey. And hopefully, I, yeah, I can. I can help them out in in many ways.
4: We had a great experience this summer. We co-taught an auditioning for the camera course and sort of fundamental on-camera techniques virtually, and that went quite well. And so many of the students have already had the opportunity to meet and work with him. So they're excited that he'll be joining us. Did you think teaching was in your future, John? Was that a life
5: goal? Yeah, you know, it has been. I, I did some teaching in New York, and I've done some teaching across the country as I've, I've traveled with various tours. It's just, it's an incredible thrill, and, it, and surprisingly creative. So yes, it's something that I really, really did hope to be able to have the chance to do in a more formal setting. And in many ways, yeah, a dream come true. So uh, really, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled.
0: And you get to hang out with your wife for the first time in in many years. (laughs) Yes.
5: It's a (laughs) win-win.
0: So I'm curious about the experience for the students, of of trying to learn a very interactive medium during this time. I mean, you can teach a certain amount of theory through a screen, but at the heart of why you want to be in the performing arts is you want to stand on a stage and perform and, and have that interaction with people. How do you manage that expectation of the students during
4: this time? Well, most of our students will be in person, as will we. Very few have selected to stay virtual at this point in time, so we will be using larger classrooms. We will be spatial distancing, but because of all of our... Precautionary measures, they'll still be able to rehearse live. They'll still be able to take classes live. So many things will be relatively similar. They'll just be in masks and/or potentially behind a transparent divider. Even for our projects that we will release virtually, we will actually be rehearsing live for them. And then when we tape them, we will release that as, as virtual content in an episodic fashion. So You know, yes, there's there's a little more distance than we would have had before. But otherwise, we really expect that some things will be able to be fairly similar to what we would have offered before the pandemic.
0: It's it's kind of tough to see a silver lining to this when we're all in the midst of fear, depression and exhaustion. Yes. Yeah. But I'm curious, you know, these times are calling for immense creativity and we are all in the arts and we're all having to learn new skills to survive. So for those students who are navigating this time as part of their education, what kind of performing
4: art skills are they taking forward that they may otherwise not have accrued? Number one is how to do a professional self tape. And what's wonderful about this is many auditions, even before the pandemic, were transitioning to the preliminary being via self tape. And so now they are, when they finish here at Stevens College, they will have ownership of how to do an impeccable self-tape, they're learning editing skills um, with video, they're sharpening their resumes, they're sharpening their websites and things of that nature. They're also learning this beautiful duality of how to work live and also how to work on camera. And that is this sort of East Coast, West Coast sensibility that we here at Stevens are really embracing. And I think it's um, a beautiful opportunity to do that because most theater training programs, don't actually pay much attention to that West Coast training. And so we're really trying to hybrid that. So they should be very well versed at the end of their time here to go out and to move to either coast and, and really understand how to recalibrate depending on what they're auditioning for.
0: And prior to this, were you really focusing on an
4: East Coast on-stage style of teaching? Yes, Absolutely. We're fortunate here, though, we've got film and TV studios. So now we have a great reason to utilize those studios and to collaborate with the film department a little bit more. And so I think this is actually a a wonderful direction to move into. Obviously, one of the other big discussions over the summer has been how the arts can be
0: more inclusive and truly inclusive by telling a much fuller panoply of stories. What changes have you put into place at Stevens that have altered maybe the program you're offering or the schedule or the shows that you're
4: doing? Has anything changed? You know, I don't know that it has changed. I think we in the theater department are very open to embracing all types of casting. And, and that's that has always been true here at our program. So we have not necessarily picked specific material to um, investigate a particular culture but what we have done is to continue and to you know make a I guess renew our commitment to making sure that we're not limiting how the casting goes on stage I don't know if that answers your question but I think and and interestingly in the pieces that we're doing in the fall they really leave so much room for multicultural casting and um John, do you want to add to that at
5: all? Yeah, I just, I think something that I know Jen and, and being here a short while, the others feel very passionate about is inclusivity and mm-hmm. making an equity and making sure that everyone has the ability to, I was just about to say, get up on stage, but, and we, <laughs> and, we and, and we do in, in, in rehearsal, but we, and we'll, we'll get back there, but you know, it's, it is something that um, it's an important time right now because there is, uh, we all have to take extra time to think about what we're doing. And I I just feel strongly that we're hidden in the right direction. Absolutely. We've all
4: been as a faculty doing a lot of diversity and inclusivity training. Mm -hmm. Our students will also have the opportunity to investigate more training. And so I think just collectively, we are working to just continue to embrace the idea of inclusivity, both on the stage and in the classrooms. And as we go about our day to day, you know, this isn't something that's isolated or compartmentalized. It should be a a thread, a through line, you know, of our lives as on a whole. So, you know, we're really working together to make sure that, that that is a seamless effort.
0: Well, it's an it's certainly an exciting time and there are so many ways, new ways for audiences to get involved and to see things that we wouldn't ordinarily see because they're not in our community. So now we have access to a global community of, of arts ideas.
4: Yes. Absolutely. If we just had time to see them
5: all. <laughs> I, know, I know. Exactly.
4: We, we are actually releasing... Um, releasing our projects in episodic or in in sort of, I guess, webisode, you might even call it, so that, or with the hope that people can tune in a little bit more, they'll be shorter. Each episode will be about 30 to 35 minutes, as opposed to releasing a piece in its entirety. So we're hopeful that that increases viewership and that people are, are open to sort of that Medium, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I,
0: I think that's a great idea. I think sitting down for an hour in front of something, or an hour and a half, or a
4: full length production, is is tricky. Uh, I want to see if things in shorter tricky. bites. Yes, 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 exactly. yes, yes. So, uh, you know, our first week uh, or our our first piece is focused on Lanford Wilson's very short one act plays, and so we'll release one very short one act play. It's about thirty five minutes per week and October you know for instance and so it'll it'll just be fun you can tune in and see a new show each week and so on and so forth and then we're doing the same uh, very similar thing with a musical project and each um, episode will focus on songs from musicals with an overarching theme so Broadway musicals dealing with sisterhood Broadway musicals dealing with friendship Mothers and daughters and then romance, so it'll be fun and in that way too we're not limited to one specific musical genre. we can kind of cross over genres and and periods and you know styles within one episode and those will be about thirty to thirty five minutes also
0: fantastic well, let's catch up again. A little bit into the semester, once we know what everybody's semester is going to look
4: like. (laughs) Yes, I love
0: it. I love it. I'm so curious and interested to see all those innovations that you have planned at Stevens, and um, and I'm I'm very curious to see a picture of the snout singing mask. Yes, I will send you one. I'll send you one. Is there an official title
4: for it? I think it's just a. Singer's, singers mask. mask. <laughs> <I think. Yeah. laughs> Open Jar Institute singers mask. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much,
0: Jennifer and John Hampill. I'm delighted that you are staying in the community, John, for a while. And uh and good luck with the beginning of the semester. And uh, let's catch up again soon. Thank you, thank Diana. You
4: so Take care.
0: So before our fourth and final visit today, I thought we'd take a wee nature creativity detour, courtesy of my pal Esther, who gathered leaves from 27 plants in her garden. And I'm going to give you a listener now because it's pretty impressive. Yarrow, lemon balm, catnip, sage, oregano, rosemary, lavender, spicebush, ginger, spearmint, bee balm, echinacea, dill, oxalis, mountain mint, self heal, lemongrass, Comfrey, parsley, chamomile, agrimony, basil, wormwood, bay leaf, Thai basil, tomato leaf, St. John's wort, tarragon, plus some stuff from her spice cabinet. And made a fabulous digestive with a little help from some Everclear. And before you ask, yes. It is super tasty. Anywho, back to our arts tour. So last stop today in this back-to-school edition is with the person who gets to oversee everything arty from K through 12, the Director of Fine Arts for Columbia Public Schools, James Melton. I feel remiss, James, that I have not had you on the show before. Surely the Director of Fine Arts for Columbia Public Schools should be heard on arts shows with some degree of regularity and not only (laughs) during a pandemic. So welcome, James Melton. (laughs)
2: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, Diana. It's great to be here. And I'm happy to come back again anytime.
0: (laughs) Marvellous. Now, I know we could spend our time together talking about the nigh impossibility of trying to plan for an entire school district when the world is full of unknown unknowns. But we'll just focus on the arts today. So what does the arts look like at CPS this fall? Or maybe let me rephrase that. What does the arts look like at Columbia Public Schools this fall at this exact point in time?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. And one that every morning I wake up um, trying to answer. In fact, this morning, I sent off a a rather lengthy newsletter to all of our faculty and staff, um, updating them on where we are right at this moment. And so right now, the arts look alive and well. And they look to be an important part of everything we do within within CPS. It's 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 just woven into our lives, but they are going to be modified. Like we've had to come to some tough conclusions in regards to safety, parent concerns, community concerns, teacher concerns, and then, of course, the safety of our students in this pandemic about some restrictions and things we're going to put in place. But the one thing that's absolutely true is that we are not going forward this fall without the arts. The classes are going to happen, and modified performances and/or expectations in regards to virtual presentations and those types of things are being put into place. We don't know all the answers yet, but we have certainly opened the doors to creative thinking and and really looking to do that. Um, and you know, today I shared just news on what those safety restrictions will look like, especially with our hybrid model in mind right now. That's been so much of the discussion in the public as we go to open on September 8th or hopefully in seat on September 8th.
0: So what do some of those modifications look
2: like? So I think in from a lot of people, they would, they immediately go to the performing arts classes. So our music classes and our theater classes, and those modifications look like social distancing and not as much movement in the classroom that's a little difficult in some ways and it also looks like two restrictions to playing time singing time etc um, at the beginning of the summer we were looking at no singing no playing but now we've reached a place where with certain studies and information that's come out guidelines that we've been looking at from the health department as well as guidance from national organizations and in our own backyard we've been looking at the school of music and so We are um, spacing students out. We are making sure that they have bell covers for their instruments. We're providing protective barriers between the teacher and the student so that the direction of aerosols isn't all being kind of like a firing squad, um, (laughs) all being forced one direction. Increased HVAC and turnover of air are some of those restrictions. And then masks. The, The best evidence we have right now, and including guidance from the health department, says that as long as we within this hybrid schedule, reduce the number of students in the room, spread students out, provide adequate space, clean spaces after we're done with it, and students are wearing masks and bell covers and other things as we do that, we can do it safely. There is no zero risk option um, with this. All of it presents um, some levels of risk. But what we've done is provide layers that say these are the steps we're taking and the guidance that we're providing. And I've even gone to the, the step of saying here are some examples of how you might set up your room. It doesn't look like our normal creative spaces with um, all sorts of configuration sizes and steps and, and all those sorts of things. The other thing is that we're encouraging while we can um, the use of the outdoors, which allows more students to participate and not have to limit the amount of playing time or trading out spaces, etc. And then I think other restrictions that we're putting in place look at us switching to doing performing less level, not less difficult level of literature or those types of things, but focusing more on small ensembles, solos process focused work on our art instead of so much product we do a lot of product from year to year and, and month to month and now we're going to lean in a little bit on those things that sometimes we just don't get the privilege as teachers to take advantage of and i don't think it's necessarily what everybody thought we could do but it is certainly what we're starting to explore in the visual arts they'll for the most part look very similar um social distancing smaller class sizes um using some of those seating chart expectations, no shared supplies as much as possible, making sure that students have access to things that are just theirs. But in the case of shared supplies, because, um, you know, as as your years of experience with Cal and other things, there are certain things we just can't duplicate. So how do we clean those things? How do we make sure that students are using them in a safe way as much as possible? And that's what it looks like in the visual arts spaces. We are um, our visual arts team, in particular, I think from elementary to high school has really looked at thinking about the curriculum in a new way, where they are focused on those most important things that they want to make sure they get to do, and looking at supplies and how to order them and be really efficient with it. So those are that's a kind of a big gloss overview of what we what we're doing, but that's what it's looking like.
0: Right. And obviously, nobody knows from week to week and day to day what's coming up. So it's a question of continuously pivoting and adapting to
2: Ah, that word. I I think I I might I might be able to go a long time in my life and not say the word pivot. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: going to be on that list of words that we hate. Yeah, just for our generations. So in my chats with other people in higher education, we've talked about how this era is forcing students and faculty to learn new skills and that these yeah. new skills, like knowing how to perform on camera and on a stage, are going to be skills that they may not otherwise have acquired or certainly not with such a degree of urgency. Do you see this as true for students who are earlier in the education too, this acquisition of new skills?
2: I think what's surprisingly coming up at this time is that we've noticed a lot of students that already have those skills or have them um, have them in a way we didn't realize it or that we haven't put to use in our classes. That doesn't mean that we aren't going to have to lean in to helping other students acquire those skills or connecting them and building that community in which we all sort of learn together, including the adults. We're exploring lots of technological options and things. But I, you know, a couple weeks ago, got to have a conversation with, um, Two former students of my own that were in my choir classes while I was at West Junior High School, and now they're adults. One of them will be on the theater faculty this fall as a teacher at Battle High School. The other is finishing up at Mizzou and has acquired all sorts of skills um, this summer with the university theater programs as they put on lots of um, live and Zoom-style productions. And so we were gleaning from them their experiences and how we might apply that to our high school, as well as our elementary and middle school programs. Like, you know, what levels do we need to think about in order to, especially this first semester, lean into virtual and non-live performances to showcase our work and our students' work. And so some of it was high tech and well beyond our means at this moment. Others were quite practical with tools that everybody has with the technology tools that we're providing students and teachers. One of the things that I'm I'm struggling with personally, and I think teachers are struggling with, as we learn about those skills and students, is that we have a real desire for those things to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But for me, art is never perfect. It's always a quest for the next, you know, the next thing that we're going to showcase or do. And so, we really have to embrace this idea that what we want to do is use those tools learn some skills and make sure we're getting it out there that that people know we're still creating and learning and and moving together rather than trying to say do we have a you know do we have the best usb microphone do we have the best camera or is this the best possible way we could present this particular live performance or product and again say but we did present it we we did show what we know we did show what we're learning and embrace those things and I think as we take little steps in those areas you know I I, I can really only, only speculate on my own but I think about my first choir performances in my first few years of teaching they were nothing like the product I was putting out you know 13 14 years later but that's because I learned how and when and what I wanted to do and gain skills as I went along the way so we're lots of us are in those baby formation steps of like we know the possibilities and so yes is the the simple answer to your question. We are going to leverage those things and we are going to to do it to the best of our ability, but we're not going to let perfect get in the way of progress or process. We're going to, you know, we're going to we're going to get it out there as much as we can and accept our failures when they happen and try again. Try again.
0: I think we have all learned from late night TV show hosts and Saturday night <laughs> live down that, you know, perfect isn't what we're going to get right now. And that right. we've all learned to run with imperfection and just and just getting getting things done. So it sounds like you are in good shape, given the current circumstances. Yeah. I mean, like you say, who knows, <laughs> if we were talking in four weeks, it might be a completely different conversation. But it sounds like you are doing all you can to safeguard students and faculty and that Art will survive and will carry on.
2: Yeah, I think that just the one thing that I keep reflecting on is that with art carrying on and and that type of stuff, we just the imperfection is what makes it wonderful. What we what we get to reflect on and what we learn, you know. So I I I never look at anything or listen to anything and know and think, oh, that was perfection. I only think about it how, how how has it impacted me and how am I connecting to it and what does it make me think about? And that's what we hope our students get from it.
0: Perfect. Well, James Melton, thank you so much for taking some time to chat on Speaking of the Arts. And let's uh, catch up later on in the semester and see how things are going.
2: That sounds wonderful, Diana. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk soon.
0: Thanks, James. And that is it for another week. We are all indebted to the fabulous teachers and staff who are on the cusp of returning to academic life at a time when everything feels so uncertain. Thank you to all of them. All the Speaking of the Arts episodes are available as podcasts, which you can hear at speakingofthearts.transistor.fm or you can also connect through the KOPN website at kopn.org. Thank you to all my guests today for a look at the arts and academia this fall. And to guitarist Yasmin Williams for allowing me to play her song, Restless Heart, at the beginning and end of the show. You can find more of her music on Spotify and on her website at yasminwilliamsmusic.com. Finally, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with more Peaks Behind the Arts Curtain. Until then, stay arty, Columbia!